This is IA Story Share, a podcast from Imagining America, where publicly engaged artists, designers, scholars, students, and other community members share stories about their life and work. This first series features one-on-one conversations recorded at the 2017 Imagining America National Conference held in and around Davis, California. This time, a conversation between Nitya Kumaran and Pat Michael. At the time of the recording, Nitya was a senior and Pat a sophomore at UMBC, the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Nitya plans on applying to medical school, having majored in biology with a minor in writing. Pat's majoring in global studies and plans to pursue a master's in education and become a teacher. The two met during their involvement in student government at UMBC. They discuss civic agency at UMBC, the nature of leadership, the power of story, and the importance of intercultural communication. So what do you care about? Everything. And that's the problem. Because if you want to choose your job, you can't care about everything. You have to know, it seems in this country, the one thing that you're going to spend your life on. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's very hard because right now I'm studying four things Mm -hmm. in my undergraduate career. I'm studying computer science, Spanish, education, and global studies, with global Mm -hmm. studies being my major. For me, I think it's like just having so many interests, but like not knowing one thing to choose. Um, it's hard, especially like I guess as an activist as well, mm-hmm. to know like one thing that I can like focus the rest of my life on. I don't think I'm at a point in my life that I can make that decision right now. That is so interesting to me. First of all, I think it's amazing that you're studying the things you like that energize you, but I disagree with the idea of. Um, not being able to care about everything to have a job. I think I know what you mean, though. Like, we can't give the same energy to every cause we care about, which is really difficult as an activist. But I think it's so useful to care about many things, no matter what your role is, because even if you can't play the leading role in another cause that you care about but can't put energy into, you can play a supportive role. And... Because because we have so many different people who have different interests, it's almost an experiment in trust and community building because you have to trust that the work that you don't get to, someone else is going to do and will pick up on. Right. That sounds like civic agency to me. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because you, because you kind of have knowledge of like, of a lot of things that you're passionate about, but you might not be 100% focused on one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see how that would work. Yeah. I I just wanted to ask you, where have you seen civic agency outside of the university and maybe even before college? Oh, right. So Nithya and I are from University of Maryland, Baltimore County, also known as UMBC. Mm-hmm. And we are both undergraduate students serving on the Student Government Association Senate currently. <laughs> and so could you repeat your question? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure like they wanted to know where we're from. Yeah, that makes sense. So civic agency is such a big part of UMBC's culture. We are very about student empowerment and students being equal in power to administrators, staff, and faculty. 
And although we respect the knowledge and experiences that our like faculty and staff bring, we don't think of our lack of expertise in any particular field as a detriment to our ability to contribute. Uh, because mm. we at, at UMBC, we really appreciate the the value that every single community member has uh, to contribute. And we don't think that you have to have all the answers to be able to have a say in what goes on. Mm-hmm. And we're also really aware that no one really has all the answers and that together we have great input that can result in great collaborative co-creations. Yeah, I, I also think that ties into like how we view leadership as a community mm-hmm. because leadership is seen as not innate, but to be learned, mm-hmm. and that everyone can be on an equal level leaders in their community. And I think that's a thing that not a lot of people maybe think, because what I've heard a lot is, oh, you have to be loud, you have to be a male, you have to be bossy to be a leader. But like something that I've learned through the UMBC community is that literally everyone can be a leader. And that like shows to like how we support like our diversity on campus and the vast like variety of people that can all be leaders. I love that you said that because I was just about to say that (laughs) because as an introverted person who's not bossy, who has a soft voice, I was able to reimagine myself as a leader at UMBC because I I think this really plays into the idea of imagining. We were given the space to imagine leadership differently, to imagine what it could look like. And then all of a sudden we, at least all of a sudden, suddenly I could fit into a space that I didn't usually feel welcome in. And I suddenly felt powerful just because I saw the space differently. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what really, I don't know this about you, what really got you into working as a leader at UMBC or before that? Well, I, I moved to India when I was 10 years old from Virginia. I lived in Bangalore and At my school, we had houses, like sort of like in Hogwarts. So our houses were named after gemstones. So we had Topaz House, Emerald House, Ruby House, Sapphire House. And I was part of Topaz House. And we had captains, like we had a house captain for each house. And um, during the year, we would have sports day in which every house would march across the field. And we'd have a prize for the house that marched best, but also um, we'd count up the points that each house uh, gained through winning at different sports on that day. So my captain was just, she was just so amazing to me. And I just wanted to be like her because no one wants to march, but we had to. And so the way that she would lead it, I I recognized traits in her that I wanted to see in myself. She would praise in public, criticize in private. She would, she had a way of 
being direct and honest, um, but it felt like she was being honest to make you do better and not to hurt you. And I had no idea how she did that, but I appreciated it. And I rec- I, I felt so proud to, uh, to be part of that house. I felt like listening to her made me feel powerful and I'd never experienced that before. I would pretend to be her at my house. I would march like her and pretend to be the house captain and then I eventually did become the house captain wow. <laughs> at the yes, school. Yes, that's, that's great. And I was in high school like very shy and had trouble talking to people but somehow public speaking came great for me and then in this role of being a house captain I recognized the shock in people because it was so hard for them to understand that I could be shy in the classroom or even in conversations and in person, but be a leader on the sports field and um, guiding people to march better and to encouraging people to participate in different kinds of sports so that as a house, we would have the most points at the end of the year. And like just their attitude, I saw people respond to me differently based on the traits I was exuding on the sports field that I somehow could not bring to the classroom yet. Now I think that I can bring those traits to the conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, people inspired me. And I think, I, I didn't realize what I was doing then, but I was imagining myself as her. But slowly I started imagining myself as me. Like not only me becoming her, but me becoming my own person and a leader who I could respect. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> what was the name of your mentor? Her name was Nikita Neti. Her name means victory, actually. Wow. <laughs> that's that's really awesome. Yeah. And how that's led to your personal development to who you are now. Yeah, and she was she was so cool. There's also this sometimes I I saw this mindset where only the students who are really academically gifted were um, recommended to certain opportunities, but she, like, like she was smart, but she, 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 more than academics, I would see her do great at, like, dance and music, and I would see her playing soccer with all these guys, and she was breaking stereotypes, you know, back in India, like, at our school. Like, she was the girl who... She, she, was, she was such a tomboy. She was like, I mean, you didn't have to be a tomboy to be cool, but she was, it felt like she didn't see any limitations because of her gender that sometimes, you know, people impose on you growing up. Mm. And Especially in India, I would assume. Yeah, unfortunately, at least like it, through my experience. Um, and I, I would play, I, I loved soccer coming in, but for some reason, all the girls played basketball and all the guys played soccer when I came in. So that was really hard to break. But then I saw her not following that dynamic. It felt like, I felt like I had permission to not follow that dynamic. And then I tried, I don't know, I tried to start a soccer team, but I had some pushback from people because of my gender. And then... I think we eventually succeeded in having a soccer team, but I don't remember how much I contributed to that because I just remember becoming so discouraged um, Mm. at that moment. But I think just doing things that scared me constantly 
really helped me with that. What lessons has your has your work life taught you? But by work, I don't really mean work like nine to five, like uh-huh. the grind. I mean, whatever was meaningful to you that taught you. Hmm. So could that be school, classes? It can be whatever appeals to you. <laughs> okay. I feel it's it's funny that you say work because I feel like I grow the most outside of class. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, I last semester was the first time I really kind of ventured to check out campus events and the event that really drew me that my one of my best friends at the time had to drag me to was this Black Lives Matter poetry reading. And I did not, I had not cried for that long in a long time. Mm. Just to hear the, the grief and the, the pain that the black community was feeling that I had kind of known in the back of my mind, but not really heard in such a poetic way before, in such a way that was not from a textbook and not from a teacher was really empowering for me. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that empowered me to really explore more cultural events and cultural representations at UMBC. Because to me, after hearing the stories of my classmates and the people that I was having class with, after that, not being, feeling like I didn't know the stories of all the people that were represented at UMBC, mm-hmm. I felt like I might have been a little disconnected from the community my first semester. Mm-hmm. And so that really inspired me to go to different cultural events from different groups on campus. And that started the trend of you know, discovering people and discovering how people interact, especially between cultural groups. And so that's where I really got into the intercultural communication work. Even though I'm a white male, mm-hmm. I, I think that really has has to do with empathizing with other people and hearing stories of people through different mediums, such as poems. And I... That's... <laughs> yeah. That's so amazing. Um... Wow, because now you're working on the cultural calendar initiative. Yes, I'm. I'm working on initiatives now. For one, the initiative, based on my experience with going to cultural events, that there is a stigma behind going to cultural events that are not pertaining to your own culture. So, as a white male, like I probably wouldn't have gone to that Black Lives Matter poetry reading if I wasn't from that cultural group. Or no, if I wasn't dragged by my best friend that was part of that cultural group to be part of that event. And I think, I think new students to UMBC might not like, feel obligated to go to these events or feel like they're welcomed at these events even. So there's a stigma at UMBC behind that. And I really, I really want to try to debunk that stigma because learning about each other through especially mediums of art, mediums of stories, 
is very powerful into how we see each other and how do we how we humanize each other as classmates and as people. Would you say that was your story about a recent experience that names our current historical moment in time? <laughs> or is there another story that comes to mind? A current historical moment in time. It's a tough question. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that the story you just shared actually is that recent experience yeah. that names our yeah, current historical me moment too. in time. Because, <laughs> because you talked about what you just said, the, the power of stories. And for you p- personally, it was poetry. That connection with that group is what drove you to do more activism. Yes. And I think people forget that, that we can't look at numbers and be driven by passion to do things. <laughs> it's really, it just goes back to our hearts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we learn these things in soci- sociology 100 classes, and we learn these things um, growing up that there's inequalities in the world. Mm-hmm. But until you experience that, from another medium coming from a person that's felt these things, it's not as real. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you you need direct human contact to do that for you. Like for me, but I'm also a very empathetic person. So that's what, that's what reached out to me. That's true. I'm also an empathetic person and we're similar in that regard. So I don't know, but, but I, I can see how many people would connect through stories. Mm-hmm. And it's it's much harder to be moved by. It's so much easier to be moved when you hear someone, you look at them, you hear their voice. There's really nothing that can do the same thing for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yesterday at this conference, we watched a play that was, the entire play was done by one woman, and it was about Harriet Tubman, um, but reimagining her in the modern day as a black woman in growing up in Harlem and in the school system. And it was about the challenges that black women face in today's education system. And There were so many times where I was taking off my glasses to cry, but then I couldn't put them on because I thought that I was done crying, but then I'd cry again. Um, Because some of my friends sitting there in that audience are black women, successful black women in the education system. And when I was watching that play, I remembered that to come to the same place that I'm in, they've faced more barriers than I have even me being a woman of color. Um, And, you know, to me, those women are, they're so confident to me and they seem so self-assured and I, I like them so much. I think they have great ideas. I respect them. And I realized maybe part of that confidence is also something that you must need to project if your community is constantly being talked of as um, downtrodden. Mm. Because if you're constant, because 
all of us were at that play yesterday and there were statistics up on like projected up on the wall about how you know um, how much black women get punished by the education system compared to their white counterparts and I was just thinking like my friends who are black are in that audience watching that like how must they feel about how other people see them like if you're if you're constantly used to hearing like hearing stuff about your community and it's said to a public audience about how you are the downtrodden community it must make you want to engage in engage with people in a way that says hey i'm not downtrodden hey i'm not like disempowered like you might believe and to take your power back and to feel dignity you must it must also be like that confidence might also have to be a persona that you take on and so that experience for me it names our current historical moment in time because although i know it, it's, it's similar to your story pat in that i've known about the barriers that black women face um and being a woman i know that there are certain challenges i face as a woman but being black and a woman there's so there's, there's such a complexity in that identity and watching that play helped me empathize more with that i with that identity of of women and the reason why it makes me think of our current historical moment in time is that more than ever we need to empathize with each other especially the communities that are being targeted right now to really think about even like what today would feel like if you were part of a different community um would you think about the way you have to dress would you think about the way you have to drive would you think about how you have to walk um what you can say and how you say it like to think about all those small barriers that other people have to face and to stand by them strongly to speak out and to give the mic to them in this time that's what that experience names for me i couldn't have put it better myself <laughs> that's so sweet thank you Wow, so I guess through all that, looking forward, I think my goal would be connection. Mm -hmm. And at, on a global level, to see nations connect, nations interconnected, and agreements with those nations, but also on a national level between the different groups that are represented in this country and on a personal level. I think my takeaway is that as human beings, we all have universal needs and a universal connection. And that's, that connection is sacred. And so if we look past the differences that we see in each other, we can see the humanity in people. And that will that will be the America that, and the world that I imagine. That's beautiful. I just want to add one more nuance. Like of course. To, we do have to be able to look at our similarities because that does seem to help people humanize each other. 
but it's only by staring at each other's differences that we can recognize the barriers, the challenges, the sorrows that each identity uniquely holds and to honor and respect those challenges so that we can stand by each other better. And I think that also comes with history and knowing the past. Yeah. Because knowledge is power. Yeah. And so I just want to put it one more way. No one is a stranger to pain. And in that we can understand each other, but we've had different experiences of pain and some of that has to do with identity. And we need to recognize our each other's unique experiences of pain. Yes, and that's the power of stories. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me, Pat, about this. This has been really great. Yeah, I've really... I'm really glad that we had this experience and I got to know you a little more, even though we already we were already good friends. Yeah. It was really cool to kind of hear your thoughts on a deeper level. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That was Nitya Kumaran and Pat Michael, who participated in IA Story Share at the 2017 Imagining America National Conference. At the end of each session, we asked everyone who shared with us to also complete the sentence, I imagine an America. We don't have to be center stage to be doing important work. And collaborating, respecting other countries, cultures, languages is going to be important for us to be the humanitarian country that I've always believed we are. So I imagine an America that is at the core humanitarian, and I see that as being our highest purpose. To hear those short segments, go to our website, imaginingamerica.org, and click on IA Story Share. You can subscribe to the IA Story Share podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. And if you'd like to contact the IA Story Share project, our email address is connect at imaginingamerica.org. The views presented in this podcast are not necessarily those of Imagining America, the University of California, Davis, or the University of California Regents. Our opening theme music is by Joe Kai. Our closing music today is by Gabriel Reynolds. Imagining America, Artists and Scholars in Public Life, is a national consortium of academic institutions and cultural organizations based at the University of California, Davis. (laughs) 